Well, thank you, Steve, for letting me come again. And thank you, rest of you who came last week and heard me to come back. It's always encouraging. Uh, so I'm glad Steve got to go away and his family to the Peak District and really enjoy that time. What a lovely place. Um, I've only been one time, but it was absolutely amazing. So God's created some amazing geography in this, um, in this country. One of my favorite places is Dirtledore. Do you know this place? And um, It's right there, the Jurassic Coast. It's absolutely lovely. It's not in the Peak District, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I did not think places like that existed in England, but they do. You should go camping there. We'll go this summer, and we're going to go with a bunch of people that we've met in school. None of them are Christians, and so we're going to go and spend some time with them. As we just sang that song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Who do we, who do we get our strength from to be that, that sanctuary? Who do, we, who do we get that strength from to be pure and holy? Is it of ourselves? Do we continue just to act really good and earn that from God and just do a bunch of good stuff? I would say, no. We cannot live the Christian life apart from Christ. Only Christ can live the Christian life. I've said it before. Only Christ can live the, the Christian life, and we must. We cannot be a Christian without getting that power from him, without him enabling us to do these things. And we had a chart last week that showed the progression of things, like God, what has he done, who we are in the light of that. And so we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit, but today we're talking about gospel identity. We talked about gospel identity um, as family last week, how we are adopted into the family of God and what that means and how we really, really, really need to stop acting like we're still servants in the kingdom of God like we're still slaves in the kingdom of God. We've been adopted in the family, we've been taken into the family of God. He is our father, and because of that, we are given all the rights and privileges as children. That's a little short recap of last week. So stop acting like you're still an orphan and act like you're part of the family. We are given the same things, same, not responsibilities, but we're given the same, same things as Christ. Like we're given the same power. God says, I'll give you power to preach and teach and do great things. He gives us that power. And this week we're talking about spirit identity, empowered by the spirit, gospel identity. So how in the world do we live spirit-empowered lives in our identity with God? I know I have the clicker. Here it is. Good deal. So when you think of a missionary, what do you think of? Steve just talked about a few of those in Armenia doing some things. You might think of as that, someone that goes to a country working in an impoverished area, um, maybe with people that are very poor, maybe wealthy, maybe not poor, doing something good for people. But it's all, what, is it, what does it look like in your mind? Maybe you want to shout it out to me. What is a missionary in your mind? Crickets, right? I know you're thinking it. What's that? Go and preach the word. Reach the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, right? So that's called a Matthew. So what does that look like? I think by the end of this, we'll have a bit of a different view of missionaries. Like, because when, you know, growing up, every missionary that I saw was basically a picture of a Western-looking person hugging the neck of a little baby or carrying maybe an orphan or something of that effect. And I want to change that, that idea in your mind uh, after this, is, this talk's over. So let's see. Gospel identity. The church is God's people, missionary people. Family, remember we're recapping family. We are dearly loved children adopted by the Father. As family, we love God and love one another. And we talked about also loving one another. When we love one another, we don't let them go easily. We don't let them, we don't kick them to the curb. We love our brothers and sisters and, and take care of them. We pray for them. We, we want to see them stronger in faith in Christ. And we know that we cannot be stronger in faith in Christ without living by the power of Christ. So just as the church is the family of God, the church is also missionary people of God. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. 
We are dearly loved children adopted by the Father. As family, we love God and love one another, but we are also someone sent by God to show and share the good news of Jesus. In this lesson, we're going to explore what missionary identity is. Okay, the church. As a church, this is who we are, missionaries. We're missionaries sent by the Spirit. As missionaries, we follow the leading of the Spirit, and as we are empowered to share and show the good news of Jesus. There's a lot we can do, and it looks really good, and maybe you have the strength and the character and the provision to be able to do good things. But if it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's really not effective. And so when we're empowered to share and show the good news of Jesus by the Spirit, great things happen. This guy, Mr. Spurgeon, he said, either you're a missionary or you're a fraud. How do you wrestle with that? Do you really believe that? Hmm. This little chart right here is another good one. This is the, the flow chart, right? Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? Now what do we do? Now we talked last week, what we do is we, we kind of start from here. We go, we look at scripture and go, all right, what do we do? What do we do? How do we act? We want to do something for God. And we might even go here a little bit, but I'm, I really want to change that. And we say, let's look at scripture and say, who's God? What has he done? Who are we? And then what do we do in light of our new identity? Because once we know who we are, once we know whose children we are, once we know the power that we've been given, then we can do what we need to do. So who's God? Spirit. What has God done? He has sent us. And who are we? We're missionaries. What do we do as missionaries? We follow the leading of the Spirit as we share and, f- share the, and show the good news of Jesus. I'm going to say we're all missionaries. Just as Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or you're a fraud. God has sent us out to someone somewhere. He has enabled you and put you in places. He's given you jobs for a particular reason. It's why we work. It's why we have our homes. Have you ever thought about, man, I really wanted this job, but it didn't work out? Well, maybe God's doing something there. The Spirit. We're going to look at what the Spirit does. The gospel, let's see, this guy here, Mr. J.D. Greer, a really popular American guy, does, he's a really good speaker. He says, the gospel, I'm going to read it off of here because I can't see it quite on the screen. The gospel has done its work in us when we crave God more than we crave everything else in life. More than money, romance, family, health, fame, and when seeing his kingdom advance into the lives of others gives us more joy than anything we could could own. The gospel has done its work in us when we crave God more than we crave everything else in life. When you read that, are you maybe a little bit convicted? Are there some areas in your life where, actually, I care more about my family. Actually, I I really care more about romance. Um, And you know what? Actually, I kind of do care about fame. I want to be known. I want people to know me. The gospel has done its work in us when we crave nothing else, when we only crave the gospel. That's a pretty powerful statement. It's incredibly powerful. Everything else in life. Are you there yet? You might say you have been. How long have you been a Christian? One year, five years, six months? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you want to be. Maybe you want to be that. Maybe you want to love God so much that everything else is worthless. And if you're not there as a Christian, there's some work to be done. Not through our power, but through God. And letting the Spirit move through us in different ways. So many papers, goodness me. All right. The mission of God. What is the mission of God? Some, some writers call this Missio Dei. I know um, Michael Frost calls it that, the mission of God. From Genesis to Revelation unveils the mission of God. What is that? What happened in Genesis, all right? God creates the world. He speaks it. His very word pours out onto all creation. This is how powerful God is, by the way. How powerful he is. Get that. Know that. Believe that. Speaks the world in creation. Out of creation, creates Adam and Eve. What happens? We all know it, right? Or most of us do anyway. Come on, kids, help me out. What happens in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Sin. Sin enters the world. 
What does that do? It separates us from God and thus begins the mission of God to reconcile himself, reconcile us to himself, to rescue us, to bring back that relationship that once happened in the Garden of Eden when he walked with Adam and Eve daily. So close he knew them and they knew him. He walks through the garden. Adam, where are you? He saw him hiding. And we've been hiding ever since. We've been hiding ever since. Hiding from God and hiding from him in fear because we want romance more than him. We want family more than him. We want health and fame. Everything else we want more than him. And we hide because we know it's false and wrong and horrible. And God is perfect and God has something perfect for you. Restoration of a broken world. What is the role of the Spirit in all this? What is the role of the Spirit? If you're a good Baptist like I am, you probably have not really spent much time with the Spirit and talking about that. And that's okay. But have you ever prayed and asked, Spirit, will you please give me power to speak? Will you please give me power to to glorify God? Spirit, will you please help me to live a Spirit-enabled life? Have you ever done that? If you look at the Trinity, you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We pray to Jesus, we pray to God, we pray to God in the name of Jesus, but we never pray to the Spirit, or maybe you've never. That's kind of a shocking thing, right? We don't give him the same place as the rest. We, he's kind of like subservient to the rest of the Trinity. That's not the place of the Spirit. Equal parts, equal shares. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, what? I will not leave you as an orphan. That family comes back. How is he going to bring us into his relationship with himself? How is he going to put his spirit in us? It's through the Holy Spirit. Equal parts. And we can pray to the spirit. I know it might be a bit awkward, but we can. From creation to revelation, the Bible reveals the mission of God to restore and have relationship with his creation. The role of the spirit mission. Let's just look at some of these things out of the book of Acts. I know from talking to Steve, you guys spent a lot of time in Acts, so this might be a reflection of this, right? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you believe that? Remember God's word we look at as the Bible? We, we say it as God's word. What did God do? He spoke the world into creation. That was power. So everything in the Bible that we see as God's word has just as much power as creating the world and the universe and the stars in the sky. And when we look at that, we see in Acts, Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Is that true of you? Have you lived out that truth? Telling people everywhere about me. Does it say only when you get on a plane or a boat and head overseas? It says Jerusalem, which is where they were, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So it has the present and it has, it has the, the mission, the rest of the world in there as well. So what does that mean? Where does the, how does the Spirit in, in there? What do you see? It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit propels, he empowers mission. Witnesses of the kingdom in all the world. Role of the Spirit mission, Acts 2, 4 through 8. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're a good Baptist, you read over this quite quickly. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, they were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, because the trumpet just blew, they came running, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they said. These people are all from Galilee. I think Galilee was like being from Coventry. It was very simple. If you're from Coventry, I apologize. I just heard that phrase recently. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. They're scholars. They sound learned. How can this be? The power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to proclaim in known languages. The Holy Spirit enabled them to proclaim in known languages. The Holy Spirit called others to hear this 
via the strong wind, the sound of the, the, the strong wind coming. I said trumpet, but strong wind. When the pilgrims came, they heard their own languages. That is incredibly cool. I want to see that happen now. How many nations in, in London? 190 approximately. Many, many more languages being spoken than that. What if we, all as church, all the churches in England, powered by the Holy Spirit, began speaking in known languages? That would be awesome. Acts 4.31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Then they preached the word of God with boldness. When filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, they had fearless confidence. The Holy Spirit empowered confidence. When was the last time you had Holy Spirit empowered confidence? Holy Spirit empowered confidence. I'm going to boldly proclaim God. I don't care what happens to me. If my job is on the line, so be it. I trust God more than I trust man. He will provide for me. Boldly proclaiming. Their lives were on the line, by the way. They just watched Jesus killed. Boldly. They had more on the line than just their jobs. Acts 29, 31. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Very clever man. The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. I have to say, Philip's quite a stud running alongside the carriage. That's pretty impressive. That's not the point. Holy Spirit leads, propels, guides. He provokes, urges, pushes, speaks, sins. He opens opportunities and he provides a way. He sent Philip to run along the carriage. Just at a proper time, the Holy Spirit promotes a coincidence that this man is reading from the book of Isaiah. That is pretty interesting. Acts 11, 27 through 30. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This had not happened yet. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. That's just a little excerpt there. So the believers in Antioch, acting on faith from the Spirit, decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters for something that wasn't even happening yet. And they sent them to Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did, they, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit gives information, helps them understand things that didn't even happen yet, prepares a way before a way is even needed. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Acts 12, 12 through 15. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door of the gate, and a servant girl named Rohada came to open it. Does anybody recognize this story? When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be an angel. So the little backlog of this story, Peter's in jail. He's in jail. He's been locked away, and everyone knows it. But in the night, Peter has a dream, or what he thinks about a dream, and he walks out of the jail cell. The door's open, and he goes through. He, even Peter is so amazed, he thinks it's a dream until he's outside. The angel goes his way. It's like, oh, the angel just left. Peter goes to where he knows to go. He goes here, and the people were gathered praying. <laughs> they, were, they were gathered praying, and it's so unbelievable that Peter actually was out of jail that they rather believe that it's an angel and not Peter. I saw that, and I was like, wow. They believed more in the angel than Peter could get out of jail, but yet they were in jail, uh, and they were in there in the room praying, praying for Peter, praying for the church. That's pretty amazing. The Holy Spirit opens doors, quite literally, and does things that are miraculous and amazing. One day, Acts 13, 22 through 5, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
appoint Barnabas and Saul for special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and praying, keyword fasting and praying, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Through fasting and praying, seeking God for guidance from the Holy Spirit, they sent out and were able to commission these men. The role of the Spirit in mission. Next, Acts 16, 6 through 10. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Figuera and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north, the province of Bithynia, I guess. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Tros, or Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. The Macedonian call, as it's known. What does the Spirit do in that instance? Holy Spirit blocks. You ever had a time where you're like, I don't know what's happening. I have some friends right now that are trying to do mission. They want to move on to an estate. They're looking for housing and they can't find it. They look every day. They pray or walk every day and this is happening. They are blocked by the Spirit. He closes doors as well as opens them. He guides us towards his plan. Do you see how Paul and Silas were directed like, hey, let's go here. Hey, oh, that didn't work out. Hey, let's go here. Oh, that's not working out too. And they were directed by the Spirit through open and closed doors on where God could use them most, where he could figure out the whole missio day, where the mission of God could happen, where God needed Paul and Silas. And he does the same thing in each and every one of your lives. Do you recognize it? Acts 20, 22 through 24. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, Paul says, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail is suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by Lord Jesus. I love this part here. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's where he's at. That's where Paul's at in that, that time. I know problems await me. I know this is going to be a bad deal for me. I know it's going to be lots of pain. But I'm going anyway. Because why? Because the, the, not only does the Spirit compel us to go to specific places, but he reveals problems to us that we might be there. It's called discernment. And he also provides strength and purpose to accomplish his task. That is really tiny. Oh, that's not too bad for you guys. Roll the Spirit mission. Just walking through some of those things that we just looked at in Acts. Propels, empowers witness, spirit-empowered witness, empower, empowered proclamation, fearless confidence. He promotes coincidence, opens opportunities, provides a way, he pushes, he speaks to us, he sins, he provokes. He prompts to prophecy, he opens doors, he gives guidance, he blocks and directs, and he closes doors. He compels us with specific direction and provides strength and purpose for the task that lays ahead. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we have strength, not in ourselves, but in Him. And yeah, if you're tired and exhausted, I have to ask the question, are you doing it by your strength? Are you doing it by your strength? Because Paul, he looked pretty up for it. And he knew it lied to him. Shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, still up for it. Beaten, stoned, kicked out. He wasn't a popular guy in some places. 
he was still up for it because he was living with the power led by the Spirit. Paul constantly urges us in Galatia, and he urges the, the Galatians to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. God has given us a guide. Our job is to learn to follow that guide. And I think that's, our, that's, a, that's a big, big issue. It's something that we need to constantly focus on. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? When I, walk with, when I walk down the road with my wife and I hold her hand, she tells me, I don't know your stride pattern. It's all over the place. Like, I can never keep in step with you. Maybe that's because I have no rhythm. I don't know. But are you in rhythm with the Spirit? Are you like me, like walking with my wife? Like, are we just out of step a little bit? Like, we're just not getting it. We live a life not quite empowered by the Spirit. Most of the time, it's empowered by us. And most of the time, we're driven by guilt rather than by the Spirit. We're guilted into being nice to people. We're guilted into coming to church. We're guilted into being good and looking pretty, but we're not living by the power of God. We look good and we're exhausted because we're looking good with our own power. I say let's follow God. Let's be propelled by his spirit. Let's give, be given strength and empowerment through him and figure out how to keep in step how to keep in step, how to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, how to be led by the Spirit. Maybe we look at this. The Bible is a compass. That's a good thing. The Bible is a compass. It can, it can help us. It can direct us. It can show us. It's a broad thing. I am terrible at anything to do with geography. I'm like, okay, west, east, I don't know. My wife is really good. She, if you ask her directions, she's spot on. You ask me directions, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a clue. So a compass, to those of you who might be trained with a compass, maybe you went through scouts, gives a general direction, right? It does, it's not a turn-by-turn. Turn, it's not a GPS. It's a, it's a, it gives a general direction. It's like, go that way, and you'll find your direction. Keep going northeast by northwest, and eventually you'll get there. And those that know how to read a compass are pretty good with it. Like, they, they can just look at that. My grandfather was like that. If you asked him more directions, he would tell you, well, you head north, and then at 65, you head west, and whatever. Me, and I'm like, ah, that, by that red car, just turn by the red car, I think. That's, that's, that's my direction sense. So when we look at the Bible as a compass, it gives us a general guide. It, it helps us understand the broad picture of what God has done for us, who God is. And that's, that's a good thing. We need to look at Scripture like that. But... We also need a guide, like me, because I'm a bit blind. So Holy Spirit is like a sat-nav or a GPS, right? I changed the wording there. If the Bible is like a compass, the Holy Spirit is more like a sat-nav. It doesn't just tell you north or south. The Spirit tells you exactly which path to take and where to make the turns. My sat-nav speaks to me <laughs> in a nice British female voice. Turn here, turn there. There's a roundabout coming. Oh, you just passed it. Go this route now. In your life, you might have opportunities, a bit like a compass, or you might have opportunities more like a GPS if you're following the Holy Spirit. For example, you're given two opportunities to serve uh, may present themselves. Both good opportunities. Both would honor God, um, would enable you to use your spiritual gifts to bless others. The Bible would say, the Bible would affirm both because it's a compass, it's a general guide. Both of those are really good things but how can we know if that's the right way? The Spirit can help me know which one, which one God is calling me to say yes to and which one I have to say no to. Maybe you can look in your life where that same thing has happened to you. Both really good options, both God would be glorified in that and people would be happy and it would bless others and gospel proclamation would happen and those are good, but I still have to make a choice. I can't choose both. Where do I go? Yes, I believe the Spirit can speak to you and help you know that. Does God always lead us in that direction? Does he specifically say yes or no all the time? Sometimes God just simply wants us to obey his written word and trust him along the way. Other times we refuse to receive his counsel or, and this is a big one, our own sin hinders us from hearing his voice. 
We've got too many weeds in our life, too much things in life that we care more about than God and the gospel, and we can't hear the Spirit. And we might need to do some like weed pulling and really be honest with the Spirit about that and say, I really stink at this, and I've been hiding this for about 30 years. I've been hiding this for the last five years. No one knows this, and it's keeping you from really hearing the Spirit. It's keeping you from being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's keeping you from being bold with gospel proclamation, fearless proclamation. You need to do like a little check there. Sometimes God wants us to take a specific course of action and he leads us on his mission. The book of Acts gives us many examples of God directing his people on mission through the Holy Spirit. We know that that happens. It's easy to want the guidance of a GPS before we have proven ourselves faithful with a compass. And what does that mean? What does that mean? We want the guidance of a GPS until we've proven to be faithful with a compass. That's the same thing. Maybe you have those weeds in your life, that sin you've been dealing with for a long time that's keeping you from hearing the Spirit. I'd say a growing understanding of God's word and character and God's will through daily time in the Bible. To be a disciple, it's estimated that one must spend five hours a week reading the word of God. Wow, that's impressive. Have you been spending five hours a week reading the word of God? Would you say that you're a disciple? Not that that's like a, check a box thing. Oh, four hours, I have another hour to go. But that's a good estimate of saying, hey, are you really spending time in the Word? Are you spending more time in Facebook than the Word? Remember, the Bible as a general compass direction and the Spirit as a GPS. A growing relationship with God through daily time in prayer, maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe you're acting on your own strength and just need time to say, hey God, really, I, I really am acting my own power for like the last six years. And I just want to put like a marker in the sand saying, I really don't want to pray, but I, need, I, need, I know I need to. Will you please give me the desire to pray and to know you? Maybe you just need to say that simply. A growing obedience to God's will so we do not grieve the Spirit and our prayers are not hindered. So listen to what he's saying to us. A growing discernment of God's voice through listening, testing what we hear with scriptures and uh, Christian community and then obeying. So it's not just saying, okay, I think I heard God's voice to go and do this. It's also testing that against other Christians and asking what they say because the Spirit speaks to them as well and can use that to speak to us also in the word. This guy here, Mr. Blackaby, is a very well-known author and that's where he, he's, he's, his main thing is go where God is going. Go where God is. That's what he says. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to equip you for what you're not going to do. So if you're in rebellion against Jesus and refusing his right to be the Lord, he doesn't need to send the Holy Spirit to equip you for service. And tragically, you miss out on the joy that he brings. So let the Holy Spirit deal with anything that's keeping you from obeying Christ. What is that for you? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something, but pay attention to that because there's full joy and complete joy in following the Holy Spirit. These four questions, we saw the chart up earlier. What this is talking about, when we read scripture, we want to ask four questions. Let's keep it simple, but who is God? God proclaimed, spoke the world into existence, powerful, he's great he is glorious he is good and he's gracious that is my god and anything that i believe contrary to that is a lie what has he done when we read scripture what has god done and we continue to read that same passage what has he done and now who are we in the light of that and how how do we live so who is god what does the text say about the character and nature of god the Bible is God's story, Father, Son, Spirit. So we begin by asking about how his character and nature are revealed in what we're reading. How are God's character and nature revealed in the text that we're reading? What's the story? The story is about him. Look for specific references for his, his attributes. The holy, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. That's the God I trust. He's unchanging, compassionate, gracious. He's patient, loving, kind good and gentle. 
This is who God is. And if I see him as anything different, it's a lie. What has he done? What does the text say about the work of God? God's work throughout all of human history is diverse and magnificent. All of it is worth proclaiming. However, the person and work of Jesus is revealed on every page of the Bible. So what has he done? How is he, how is he reconciling the world? How is he bringing the world to himself? How do we see that in Isaiah? How do we see that in Luke? How do we see that when King David as a man after God's own heart? When, and how do we see it in Noah at the flood? How do we see it in Lot and his wife? Where, what has he done? How is he reconciling us then? Where is Jesus in that? Who are we in the light of that? Remember, who is God? What has he done? And then we look at who are we in the light of who God is? Who are we in the light of text, of scripture? What does the text say about our identity? God has always been working to save a people for his own possession, a jealous God. We are his inheritance, 1 Peter 2.9. Throughout the Bible, note the things that are true of God's people. This adds depth and richness to our understanding of who we are as Christian believers. We want the word to be alive. We see it as a new covenant. We're new covenant believers. What does that mean? It means that we are under the blood of Jesus, not the blood, not Abraham, not the blood of goats for it to take away our sin, but we are under the blood of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice for us. For example, Levitical priests were anointed and set apart for special service to God. This is cool, and I want you to hear this. Now we're all appointed, anointed, Sorry, appointed and anointed. There we go. Now we are all anointed with God's spirit. And because of Jesus, are all part of God's royal priesthood. Set apart for special service to God. When we came under the banner of Jesus, when we came under the blood of Jesus, we were set apart special service. Anointed as a priesthood, just like the Levitical priests were, who were set apart, man. Like that's, what they, that's their job. That's who they were called to be. And we were called in the same respect. That's a special role in this whole thing. God trusts us with that. And now, how do we live? In light of all this, how does it change the way we live? So, I know God's great, he's glorious, he's gracious, and he's good. How does that change the way I live? Do I still live in fear of God, or do I accept him as my father, and thus accepting my position as a son? How does it change the way I live when I know that God and all of creation is setting the whole world into existence to bring me back to him? Me and everyone else, everyone else in Chiswick, everyone in this building, everyone outside this building, everyone that's going to be on the high street today enjoying Chiswick Fair and food. God is at work bringing everybody back to him because he's a loving God. He's gracious and he wants to be with his children. Rightly motivated, gospel-centered action flows out of an understanding of who God is, what he's done, who we are, in the light of God's character and work. Rightly motivated, gospel-centered action. Not out of guilt, not out of self-honor or glory. Rightly motivated, gospel-centered action. Good works. Good things, proclaiming the Bible, proclaiming the gospel. Action flows out of understanding who God is, what he's done, and who we are in light of God's character and work. When we are faithful in these basics, God begins to entrust us with more. As a missional community or as a church, we need to be helping one another, be faithful with the basics of building a relationship with God and obeying his word, keeping each other accountable, spurring each other on, praying that spirit is leading them. Spirit is guiding them, that they are trusting Christ for the power to live a Christian life. Remember, if they're not living a Christian life, the only thing they're doing is not allowing Christ to live through them. And we have no more right to look at ourselves and puff ourselves up and say we're better than them. We have no right to do that because all we're doing is trusting Christ to give us the strength to live like him. So we don't even do it through our own power. So what do we have to <laughs> boast about? 
the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you to do all these things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you, John 14, 26. Good news for everyday life, right? God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship in which he is intimately involved in your life. Not only is he the Father who loves you, he is the Holy Spirit who guides you. Think about, think about your children if you have them. Think about your, your father maybe, your mother, or maybe your brother. What if, okay, this just came to my head, so just trust in the Spirit's guidance. This um, lovely Disney film called um, Frozen. Yeah, you've seen that? How sad is the scene when she's like standing by the door asking to come out and play? She's like by the door looking through the keyhole. Will you come and play? Right? I know you know the song. You're going to be singing it the rest of the time I'm here. Right? Do you want to build a snowman, right? How sad is that scene? You have sisters that are intimate and close and love their relationship with each other. And then something happens and then fear drives them away. Fear separates them. But they, oh, but they want to be close, but they can't because they're scared, or at least one sister is. God wants a relationship with you in which he is intimately involved in your life. Not only is he the Father who loves you, he is the Holy, he is the Holy Spirit who guides you. Just like Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve, when they were fearful of God and hiding, how long are you going to hide? How long are you going to hide? Yeah, you might have to deal with some sin. You might have to deal with the fear that comes along with that. But God wants an intimate relationship with you, a very powerful, meaningful relationship with you. The good news is that. That's the good news. This guy here, make a little short point about that. That's the video, if you could pull that up. Kapin Gillette, he's a uh, pin from Penn and Teller. Very good musician. Um, Magic guy, right? Um, he is an atheist. He does a lot of talks about stuff. And one day, he, um, he did this short YouTube video. And I just wanted you guys to see that. Um, hopefully it comes up. Oh, cool. So let's watch this and then we'll carry on. to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. <clears throat> little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. 
And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Okay, you can stop there. Pin. Pin is, what did he say there? If you really believe this, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me? That's strong words. If you really believed that, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me? If it was a truck, I would at some point push you out of the way, even though you didn't believe it. Scripture calls us to, to speak, to urge, to not, not to manipulate, but to speak in such a way where we would rescue them. To do it and push them out of the way of the truck. Everything we possibly can. That's powerful. God wants a relationship in which he is intimately involved in your life. Not only is he the Father who loves you, he's the Holy Spirit who guides you. God's people are missionaries. We are missionaries empowered by the Holy Spirit. We follow the leading of the Spirit as we show and share the good news of Jesus. Penn talks about this person who's following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He was honest about who he was, what he was saying, and he was good. He was empowered by the Spirit. It obviously had a huge effect on him, and that's who we need to be each and every day, empowered by the Spirit. This guy is a missional church planner type guy. You simply cannot be a disciple without being a missionary, a sent one. For way too long, discipleship has been limited to issues relating to our own personal morality. We're, remember, looking on the spectrum that says, oh, what, is, what do I have to do? We're not looking at God and what he's done for us. And worked out in the context four walls of the church with its privatized religion. In doing this, we have severely neglected our biblical mandate to go and make disciples. The fact that you can be a disciple without being a missionary, no mission, no discipleship. It's as simple as that.
John 20, 21, again he said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Sharing the good news, this is just some bits of scripture as the power, uh, Holy Spirit enables and empowers. This is what the disciples were doing. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, now when they heard and testified the spoken word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. When they had preached the gospel in the city, they had many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Your actions speak a lot, but your mouth shares the word of God. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. They cannot believe, they do not hear. Mr. Jeff Vanderstelt, being missional, being a missionary where you're at does not mean that we go on a mission trip for a week to another country. We are the missionary people of God, sent by God for his purpose every single second of our lives. When we're at Tesco, or Waitrose, when we're at school, God's family, you're on mission from God. The location of that mission might be the cubicles of your office, the homes in your neighborhood, the schools that your kids attend. You don't have to move to be a missionary. He's called you, directed you, and put you in place. He has given you a, a place to live. He's given you a job. He's given you a school. Use that for his honor and his glory. Living for Jesus and his mission takes intentionality and involves sacrifice, but it isn't as complicated as we think. It's very true. It's not as complicated as you think. It's simply being neighborly. It really is. It's saying to your neighbor down the street, hey, this is happening. I think it's kind of cool. Would you want to come with me? Signing your name on it, sticking it through their door, or knocking on their door and saying, hey, this is me. <laughs> I'm going to this. Do you want to come with me? What's so hard about that? Bring some cookies. It might not be very English, but hey, bring a biscuit. Seriously, it's about being neighborly, knowing your neighbors and caring for them. Yesterday, um, my wife and I, and um, you know, we have, we have children, and it's difficult sometimes to do mission with children, and so we, we kind of tag team. There's this thing called the Henwell Hootie. Anybody know about Marshall Amps? Marshall Amps um, kind of started in... I don't think you guys, you might have a Marshall amp around here, but Marshall became really big in probably the 60s and 70s as they produced um, amplification instruments, micro, big, big speakers for people like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and those guys. And all of those guys would come to Hanwell, where I live, and they would get their little amp from Marshall. Well, Marshall died not too long ago. And so in memory of him and the, the music scene, they started this thing called Hanwell Hootie. Why it's called that, I don't know, but it is. And so we volunteered. This is the fifth year they've done it. They expected 20,000 people to come and basically just open up pubs all across Hanwell, and apparently there's a lot of them, and um, have local musicians come through. I didn't really recognize any of the musicians except for one band, um, but that's what they did. And so my wife and I volunteered. We're like, hey, this is happening in Hanwell. We live in Hanwell. We're going to be a part of this. And so we rode on these buses, the old Routemaster buses. Mine was built in 1962. It was really cool. The driver was really nice. And we got to meet other people on the bus. And so people would get on the bus and we'd drive them to a different location. And then my job was very glamorous. I had this nice little bum bag on my waist. And I had a little tag that said Hanwell Hootie on it. And I, and I stenciled face paint on people's faces. That's my job. It was not glamorous. It was messy. I still have stuff underneath my fingernails. That's what we did, and it was so much fun. We were involved with the local people. We were involved with the organizers of this. And as a church, we decided, let's be involved. We live here. Let's be involved in community. And um, they were so thankful that we were involved. We got to go and hang out with them and speak in their lives, and they were just really complimentary of what we did for them. And we got to meet so many people in Henwell and in that area, just coming out to enjoy and have a good time with their families and stuff. Just being intentional. It wasn't, that dif it wasn't that easy, but it wasn't that difficult either. My wife and I had to figure out what we we're going to do with the kids, etc. But it still happened. It was a lot of fun. We were on mission. 
Because we realize that that's productive. It puts us engaging with community. It puts us doing something. Now, when we, when we proclaim the gospel, when we look at things like this, this is a list. Yeah, yeah, I might be able to read that. There, there are people in our lives who God wants us to speak to. And this is some scripture references. And you can put that name of your friend, of your family member, of your neighbor in there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through that real quick. I want to put the names I know. And as I read, you'll be engaged too. Think of a name that you would want to put there. And man, if you want to pray out loud with that, then go for it. If you don't, pray silently. But I'm going to pray for people that I know as I read this. Lord God, I pray that you would draw Ben to yourself. Lord, I pray that Gopi's heart, and that she, would, that she hears and believes the word of God for what it really is. Lord God, I, I pray that Chris seeks to know you. Lord, I ask you to prevent Satan from, from binding the truth in Catherine. Holy Spirit, I ask you, I ask you to convict my cousin of their sin and their need for your redemption. Lord, I ask that you send someone who will share the gospel with Tom. Lord, I also ask that you give me the opportunity and the courage and the words to share with Chris. Lord, I pray, I pray that Abdi turns from his or her sin. I pray that Abdi turns from his sin and follows you. Lord, I pray that Rachel would put all of her trust in you. Lord, I pray, I pray that Tom confesses Christ as Lord and takes root in his life and grows in faith and bears fruit for your glory. That's how we need to pray for our friends. That's how we need to pray for the relationships that are around us. Through Scripture, with power, knowing that God wants this for their lives. And he's given us a special place to do that. How am I on time? Am I good? Okay. I didn't look at you, so if you, didn't, if you answered me, I didn't see it. So I'm just going to carry on. Ways to connect. It's simple, man. Come on. It's not, that, it's not rocket science. Ask God. Build relationships. It's ABCs. Ask God, build relationships, connect with your community, like things like the Hanwell Hootie. Show and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Show and share. Speak truth. Speak life. Engage. Build relationships. Build relationships so that you have credibility in the lives of your neighbors. Tim Chester, the future of Christianity lies not in the return to the dominance of Christendom, but small, intimate communities of light Often they're unseen by history, but like yeast that rises up, like yeast, they're what transforms neighborhoods and cities. You want to see your city transformed? Start being neighborly and sharing the gospel. Do not shrink back from that. How much do you hate your neighbors that you would not share the gospel with them and do everything you possibly can to engage them? How much do you hate your neighbors We were missionaries not sent by our strength, not by our own action. We were missionaries sent by the Spirit who follow the leading of the Spirit as we were empowered to show and share the good news of Christ. Empowered to show and share the good news of Christ. As a church as a church, as people, as communities that are, I know in churches you, you have communities that exist, um, people who would still call them cliques, but they're not. They're just communities that you have deeper intimacy with than others. How in those communities that you formed, how in the broader scope of the community here, how in the community of churches outside of this, this church, these four walls, how can we set aside time to pray for the people in Chiswick, to pray for the people in our, in our areas, the, the names that we put down through that scripture. B, how will we build relationships with these people? How are you going to engage your neighbors? We've got to figure that out. C, how can we connect them with our community? 
How can we connect them with the community of the church? How can we connect them with the people that we know that are Christians? Do I need to have a barbecue? Do I need to go to something like the Hanwell Hootie? Do I need to do these things in our community? What's happening in my community that I can be engaged with? Where's the, where's the fire station? Where's the police department? Do they need Jesus? Do they need to hear Jesus? Do they need biscuits? Do they need some love and attention? How can we show the good news of Jesus by serving them? These are the, these are the questions that church needs to answer to be effective in the community, to be a voice again. And, it, and like, like Chester said, it's not going to be like the entire nation decides, okay, let's follow Christ again. It's going to be birthed up like yeast. It's going to bubble up from the small community. It's going to come from your house. It's going to come from your house. It's going to come from your little community, your friends and your relationships. And how can we be intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus with them? How can we show them love, not hate? That's pretty strong. You have eternal life in you. You know the way. And you're not going to share it because it might be socially awkward. That's a cop-out. We don't do it through our own strength. We do it through Holy Spirit proclamation, Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation with fearless boldness. Not by our strength because by my strength, I'm going to be fearful. I'm going to be scared. I understand that it's socially awkward. But by power of the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, not out of guilt, out of the Spirit. I'm going to pray for you guys and turn it back over to Steve. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the light. Thank you for the education. Thank you for their time of, of growth, of disciples. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling them to yourself. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use this church, use each individual here to speak into the lives of all their relationships. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen.